This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Pahoy and Comanche Spirit Power. And the author is J.L. Chalfant. And Janine joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Janine. Hello. What an adventure this book is. We're talking about a young Comanche woman named Pohoy. She embarks on a mysterious, mystical quest to earn spirit power after her father is murdered and her white mother is kidnapped. What a story. How did this all come about, Janine? It's, it's really kind of a strange story how it came about. I had a challenge was given to me by a New York literary agent who took me on at the time. She thought Native American characters would be good for young adult novels, and that's what she wanted me to write. And I had I met her because I went to a workshop to learn how to edit another novel that dealt with Native Americans. So by working with her, I felt like I was a karate kid in training, <laughs> but I think she was harder than his teacher. So this story <laughs> developed out of that working relationship. But then she retired, and then I was holding a YA I did not want to publish. So I went ahead and finished it and decided I would publish it. That's how that happened. And I um, I got, I really became motivated, actually, to work that story. And much of I decided to use the um, being a Texan and knowing about a lot of innocent Indian women and children being gunned down to rescue white captives. I decided to reverse that idea and to write this story from the Native American point of view. <laughs> and you have, uh, your genealogy goes back to Native Americans. Yes, yes, part, part of my genealogy does. And, um, and that was a very important part of my genealogy and I, Yes, I, so I became very motivated by all of that and actually reconnecting. It helped me actually reconnect with my Native American connection, the Comanches. So that was a lot of fun, but it was also a lot of hard work. So I still had to do a lot of research to keep it, the framework of the story as inspired by true events and what was really happening in Texas at the time of the story and then try to keep all the rest of it fictional. So that was a challenge. And the overall story, you really want to focus on the importance of family and friends. Yes, and forgiveness. Those are my three main themes that I focus on. So Pahoy, she, how does this, how does the story begin? I mean, where does, is it right at the beginning where her father is gunned down? No, no, there's a a great spirit storm is coming. And the, there's actually been a 15-year drought 
really. And the weather's beginning to change, and the Indians feel something, a bad omen is coming. And so it starts before the attack, just a little bit, where Pohoy is, she's a girl that's headstrong and courageous, and her father has pretty well sheltered her and has not let her marry. So she still lives at home with her parents, and half of her life is spent learning from her aunt, and one especially who's a medicine woman, and the other half from her mother and her grandmother and her father. So in the middle of this little section of kind of setup for the story where she's with these people doing things and living her life, and disobeying them at the same time, trying to climb cliffs and fly with the eagles, these traitors come, and then the story begins where she witnesses her mother being kidnapped and her father murdered. So do we know the background of her white mother marrying her American Indian Comanche father? Yes, you find that out in the story pretty quickly. So she's out to avenge. That's her mission. Right. She feels like she's been betrayed by someone that she loves in camp. Now, who's Yellow Bear? He's her boyfriend, the, the one she really wants to marry when she gets to. And he becomes the one who joins her when she doesn't want anybody to join her, but he does anyway. And he also brings along a Mexican captive child who's like six years old who belongs to her, her aunt and uncle. Now you talk about her transforming herself into a ghost warrior. Now explain what that's about. She does that because she feels she has broken some taboos, like trying to gain spirit power by climbing the, to this eagle's perch at the beginning of the book to fly with eagles and to study power with her medicine woman aunt when she's not supposed to. And when her family is attacked, she blames herself. So she decides that she's got to right the wrongs. And by doing that, she uh, ex exiles herself. She puts caliche dust all over her and literally takes what she needs, takes some things from her father that will be needed for his burial even, and takes off on her own after the kidnappers before they get away, before their tracks fade, because she thinks that her tribe or band, they were called bands, not tribes in those days, is taking too long to go after her mother. So, you know, by being a ghost warrior, she knows she can't come home. Unless, of course, so she, she can find her. So she go believes ahead. she's, I, mean, I was going to say, this, this is a, uh, well, it's not a suicide mission, but it is a, it is a mission that's going to probably take her life. Right. And the planes are treacherous, much less for one person than they are for a group of people, you know, and... Yeah, she she knows that that could happen. Now, why did you put in this six-year-old Mexican captive? Uh, you know, it's a, an important character. Yes, he is. Um, 
I put him in because the Comanches did capture a lot of Mexicans and brought them up, as well as white German babies, because they were living over in the part of Texas that was settled, the east part. And she, I wanted to show that there's intolerance among everybody. She was tired of having so many Mexican children because they were beginning to speak a lot of Spanish. The Comanches could speak Spanish and Comanche and some other Indian languages, and they also learned some of them to speak English before they were brought in on the reservation, the ones that had a lot of contact with whites. So I used this child to help teach her through the story to have tolerance for people who are different. And that's very important to you as well as you've mentioned before about forgiveness. Um, you know, really only true healing comes from forgiveness. Right, right, that's right. So I put her through the, I put Pohoi through the gamut, I guess, of all those emotions. <laughs> so she has to learn a lot of lessons. Right, yes. And, and she learns a lot of surprises, too, things that she perceived to be one way when they really were another way. Any other strong characters that uh, help her or are uh, yes. in ways um, get, get in her way? Um, yes, her boyfriend, who is Yellow Bear, is a strong character who, in her mind, gets in her way, but in reality she knows he's keeping them alive, basically. And the little boy the little Mexican captive tests her patience constantly through the whole story, but her, but there's a, the antagonist of the story, which I don't want to give away too much, is someone within her own band, Comanche band, who is a very powerful person, and there's a lot of Comanche spirit power going on where she communes with, she gets spirit help from her father, who's deceased, the spirit animal that belongs to him, and then this other person in the tribe, or the band, excuse me, um, who is helping her inadvertently, even though she cannot believe it and refuses to believe it. So this theme of fear, fear, fear of uh, difference, fear of the unknown, fear of being alone, fear of being loved, knowing the truth, uh, a, lot, a lot of themes here that your character is dealing with. Yes, yes. This was a this was a really important era historically for the Texans and the American Indians living in the Canyonlands and all around, really. But in her case, they had had no contact with whites, no signed, no treaties. Her band is the Quahati Comanches, which means antelope eaters, and they literally stayed to themselves. And all this, I wrote the story to show that here's these peaceful Indians not doing anything, minding their own business, and then all of a sudden their whole life is threatened to extinction. So Pohoy has to ask ourselves. She gets hit with all of these questions. Suddenly she's an orphan. Suddenly her grandparents, she's got to live with her older uncle and aunt, 
not, maybe not get to marry the guy she loves. And now then she learns the storm, the spirit storms are coming and possibly their way of life is going away. Maybe they'll all die. So, yeah, that's why those are all in there. So a theme of discovering true power that really is within all of us. She comes to understand that. Yes. Finally, at the end of the book. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to share with us, Janine? Yes, actually, um, I felt this story was very pertinent for today, and maybe that's why subconsciously I put it up and got it out at the right time. I don't know. But um, in using a real-life historical framework for the story, it enabled me to generate a true-to-life feeling for fictional setting and characters. Um, and in setting, I mean what happened, because I can't say that that didn't really happen yet in Texas. But that this, that the readers can actually compare what was going on then to the clash of cultures today in the world and how everybody's lives are just changing really, really fast. There's all kinds of things going on, and possibly... If they read the book, and I hope a lot of people do, that they'll see that Pohoy actually does come to peace with everything going on and is able to to find that peace within her, that power, to see other people in a good way, not necessarily in a bad way, and including the events that are happening. So. The title of the book is... Pohoy and Comanche Spirit Power, J.L. Chalfont. Janine, tell us how to get your book. You can get it through iUniverse Bookstore, and you can get it through Amazon and through Barnes & Noble online. And there's many, many other places online that you can get it. Um, all you have to do is go online and type in J.L. Chalfont. Or Poho and Comanche Spirit Power, you can go to my website, which is jlchilefent.com. And I have a Facebook page that is linked from there, too. So it's pretty much all over the place. Well, thank you so much, Janine, for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Well, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Evermore, people have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. 
These are the words of Dr. Victor Frankel. The inspiration for the movie, Victor and I. That's V-I-K-T-O-R and I, movie.com. And TalkSense Radio, The Meaning Connection. With host, Mary Similuka. And frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. More and more people today are discarding their quest for money, possessions, and things. And are instead beginning a serious quest to find meaning in life. Until now, these discussions were historically in the hands of priests, ministers, and scribes, then to philosophers, psychiatrists, and psychologists. Now, these deep discussions are where they should be, in the hands of individuals, on the air, with you. Talk Sense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with your host, Mary Similuka, and frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central, on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings, this is J.W. Sparker. Today on iUniverse, we'll be visiting with Army vet, technical professional, and New York resident and author, Selrock Smith, to discuss his book, Are You Looking? A Guide to Navigating Gay Dating. Welcome, Selrock. Thank you. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Pretty good. It's a bit rainy here in New York City, but you know, New York is one of those cities where you can just Absorb everything. You'll find something great about even the rain. Yes, <laughs> so I'm kind of happy. I, I love New York. New York's a great place to visit. I'm in the Southwest, but uh, definitely enjoy my visits there. Now, on your book cover, it says this about your book. In this guide, Selrock Smith, a fellow veteran of the dating war, shares his best advice, perspective, and support. He discusses everything you need to know about taking up optimistic and productive control of your dating life, no matter how or where you meet people. You'll learn some powerful tips and simple life lessons to take the confusion out of meeting new people and making a great first impression. And with these tools, you can learn how to avoid the world of heartache and headache. Does that kind of sum it up? That sums it up um, very, very well. And um, the wording is is actually perfect. It's a perfect description of uh, a lot of what I'm discussing in the book and a lot of various topics um, but it's also a very direct approach. Um, I'm not, you know, I didn't write War and Peace. <laughs> and so yes. it's one of those things where I want people to just, you know, have a, a quick read that is to the point. You know, I'm not adding a lot of stuff to it. So um, I'm very happy about that. Okay. How did you come to write this book? Oh, wow. Well, it's it started um, about almost two years ago, actually, as, um, you know, a lot of my friends were becoming out of a long-term relationship, becoming newly single. And I had been, you know, single for quite some time at that point. And, you know, they would talk to me about their dates, who they met, how they met them, and I would share common mistakes. They were able to give me scenarios, and I was already able to complete the scenario for them. And I'm like, okay, this is what's going to happen because of X, Y, and Z. And what would happen, happen, they were making the same mistake I made um, when I became single, uh, especially out of a long relationship, and what took place, it was just over and over again. These were friends of mine that didn't even know each other, making the same common mistakes. And then uh, in discussions with other people, I found that you know a lot of these things were common, but it was very repetitive. So kind of as a joke, <laughs> I said, I'm going to write everything down you stop calling me. <laughs> and okay. that's kind of how it started. And next thing you know, I had a, um, an intro and an outline done, and I just started writing. All 
All right, and what do you want the readers to take away from your work? I think the, the biggest thing I would like people to pick up is, you know, the stuff I wrote about in terms of self-evaluation. I think, you know, uh, or self-reflecting, as I call it. And I think it's important to really understand who you are, where you currently are in life in your current situation, and where you're going and what do you want. Once we understand these things within ourselves, then we can meet people and determine if the person we're dating or involved with is important. If, if that's something you really need in your life, is that something that you want, or are you dating or with this person for the wrong reason? So I think a lot of times people are in relationships where they meet people and they're with them, and it's not for the right reason. So that's that's important to me. I want that to kind of stop. Yes. And uh, how long did it take you to write this book? Um. Well, you know, it's funny um, that it, it was more of a hobby. I still consider it somewhat of a hobby, but, um, you know, working a full-time job at you know, other, you know, uh, ventures and whatnot, and this was uh, an approach that was very close to me. So I think total time in terms of um, actual writing the manuscript, the editing process, and you know, getting the first draft out there, we um, combined in terms of days, I would say, about, Oh my! I would say I put a good solid year, a good solid ten to twelve months. It took me to complete the whole process. Now, granted, over that's a ten to twelve months that's, that's spread it over a two-year period, um, and it actually took me to really complete it. You know, but yeah, that's how long it took. Yes, and is this book similar to other books in the marketplace, or is yours kind of unique? You know, to be honest, I've read long before I wrote this book. I read several books that. Um, was related to the gay community, with dating, and some of the issues that I also discussed in this book. And I didn't quite feel that they elaborated enough, or they they tiptoed around some of these topics that are considered, you know, very taboo that goes on in the gay community. But no one wants to talk about them. It's like a pink elephant in the room. So I feel like um, there was one, maybe one or two that really took on the some of the bad side of being in the gay community and kind of hit it hard, but they didn't specifically reference um, some of them. I'm referencing some of the drug use, some of the, you know, a lot of the uh, sexual activity that takes place. They talked about it in another book, but it, it didn't translate over to someone that's dating, that's trying to meet people. And, you know, how do you avoid that? How do you kind of, um, you know, steer around it? So I think my book, in particular, and another thing is this too, I find a lot of the authors that wrote books, um, about this, a similar, the similar topic was more than 10 years ago. The last one that was published um, that I was able to find was from uh, 2003. So, you know, here we are 10 years later. So I think my, uh, my perspective has a, is a fresher, more updated approach, and it's very direct, and, you know, I'm not a doctor or psychiatrist that has written stories based on my patients. I wrote this book from my observations and those of my friends, and, you know, I think that alone makes it very relatable. And even the readers that, you know, that have purchased it already and some of the feedback that I've gotten in the book, you know, they're like, wow, this is so true. I'm so happy you wrote this. And, you know, I, the feedback I'm getting is, is amazing. And But the feedback that I'm getting is from the community that I wrote it for, for from, you know, single gay men that, you know, are trying to meet people in, in, a, in a big city or anywhere for that matter. And... Uh, I'm just very happy with what I'm hearing. Well, it was that the most challenging part of writing the book, being being specific about uh, complex issues in the gay community? 
it was it was complicated because you know you're putting your your <laughs> in a way you're putting yourself in a situation where you're going to be you know criticized and you know I don't want to say necessarily attacked but um, you know judged for you know saying certain things that you know people may not want to talk about and but I felt that it was important to discuss these issues because they were true and I genuinely believe that I told the truth about what actually takes place and you know. Um, and this is something that necessarily mainstream may, may not be aware of. I think um, I don't. I didn't want to give into the, the stereotype of the gay community either by you know discussing large sexual numbers, you know, large numbers of uh, sexual partners and the drug use and partying. I didn't want to kind of get into that, but I wanted to. I wanted to make it clear that you know a lot of gay men are just regular guys that just don't happen to be gay, and that's really the core audience, the core group I'm targeting. Now, granted, um, the people that I'm finding that are, you know, my more average readers are women. A lot of women are surprisingly reading this book, and I'm getting a lot of feedback from women. So it's it's it's, it's weird. Um, you know, I targeted one audience, and I'm getting feedback from another. So it's it's been an interesting thing. But I think uh, as far as complicated, yes, it has a very complicated talk about you know dating and HIV. You know, no one has done that. I have yet to read a book that discusses that. And you know, HIV. You know, here it has been. Since the 80s, 1980 was the first case. So we're looking at um, 30 years of a virus that has affected one community. You know, not you know, it affects everyone, but it's been targeted towards one community for so long, and no one has specifically that I'm aware of discussed dating and HIV. And I, I did touch on that in this book as well. Right now, this this book, although it's it's targeted towards uh, gay dating, uh, does it have issues or, or conversation that might be transferable to, to anybody that's dating? It, it, it's completely transferable. I genuinely believe that anyone that is genuinely looking to meet someone and, you know, start something, start a new relationship, or I have tips in here that I think will help everyone. And ironically, like I said earlier, you know, the, the amount of women that are responding to me about the book, it's it's crazy and I, I love that women are picking it up and they're taking it and they say, you know what? Yes, I can totally relate to this topic. I can totally relate to, you know, whatever you said in this chapter. And what's happening now granted, I not every single thing because some things are specifically targeted to gay men. But overall, yes, I believe anyone can take this book and um get something positive from it. And that's really what the biggest thing to me is sending a positive message out there to people. Super. Now, what is the maybe the one tip that you would give to, just as a general dating tip, to anyone that's uh, trying to get into a relationship? What would you say to them? Oh, God. <laughs> There's so many places to start. Um, the, the reason that's kind of, it's kind of hard to answer that, given you know, a targeted one question, um, a one one simple uh, thing to, to look for, um, because it's, as complex as dating can be, I think there's a set number of things that, that can be evaluated. Um, but I think for me, the, it's, it's all about the individual. So I can only talk for myself um, in regards to that. Um, for me, the biggest thing is respect. That's the biggest thing. Someone that, you know, respects your time, respects, you know, what you're trying to do. Um, you know, they're listening to you. And, you know, you're, you're looking at what they do as an individual as well. Do they respect themselves? Are they doing things to make sure that they're a better um, individual? And, you know, you look at all these things across the board. But let's say you take that one topic, you take respect, and you apply.
apply it to other things. You watch this person, you kind of have to be very uh, mindful of, you know, what they say. Are they, you know, true to their words? Are they honest? And, you know, mm-hmm. but it, for me, it all boils down to respect, and that's such an important thing. And I think from respect, other things can grow. So that's something that I personally look, personally look for. I don't have any specific, you know, physical attributes that I care about or any, any, anything of that nature. I look for uh, more moral qualities that are more important. So that that's important to me. But I feel like um, an individual has to decide, what do I want? Okay, what's, what specifically is important to me? And what I'm, where are my values with this? And then I can apply that to what I'm looking for. So that's what I would tell someone. So sincerity and respect are kind of a key ingredient to any dating situation, from what I'm hearing. I, I, I completely, I completely agree with that. That's exactly what I'm saying here. All right. And what what uh, what would you like readers who get your book and who read it, obviously, what would you want them to take away from uh, your your insight? You know what? I think from my many, 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 many mistakes, um, they, I, I would love them to take the wisdom that I've put into the book. And um, I genuinely believe that you can always learn from another man's mistakes. And I, I want people to take <clears throat> little things, you know, the little red flags that I discussed, things that I want people to pay attention to from the beginning of a relationship. A lot of times we meet people and we get so carried away with, oh, he's great, I love him. <laughs> you know, or you, mm-hmm. it, it's the newness of it. And I, I call it the honeymoon phase. We get into the honeymoon space and we ignore a lot of like little red flags that are clearly evident in the beginning. And they don't manifest themselves until later. And what happens once the honeymoon phase is over, you start paying attention to these little issues, but the flags were always there. We, we just couldn't see them. We were blinded by this honeymoon phase. So a lot of times I think people can take away and save themselves a lot of heartache by just paying close attention. Um, and, and to little things in the beginning when you first meet someone. And a lot of times if you could take a red flag, you can multiply that flag by, what, three years. And that same issue was always there in the beginning, but we chose not to see it. And you'd be, it's funny how you can rewind to a beginning of a relationship and remember details that you should have paid attention to from day one. And that's the biggest, that's one of the biggest lessons I want people to take away from when they have they finish the book. Uh, also, like I said earlier, uh, I want people to do a lot of self-reflecting and, you know, find out what's important to you, find out what you want. Because if you don't know what you want, how do you know if you've missed it? How do you know if that person already passed you by? You you won't know. But if you're just, oh, I'm just kind of want to have fun looking around, okay, that's great. But, you know, when you are ready to date and meet someone seriously, you want to know exactly what's important to you. And, you know, and I, I talk about writing a lot of lists in the book. You know, I talk about people just spending time with themselves to figure these things out before you meet someone, before you jump into something, figure out what's important to you, what do you want, and that's that. Well, that's that's uh, good advice for anybody in dating world, whether it's gay it, or straight. It really is. It really is. If <laughs> you're a single person trying to figure things out, and try to, I feel like there's a confidence that comes with knowing with knowing who you are. And, and that there's a self-conviction there, and, and it's, people can see it. And then the confidence stands out more than anything else. If you're in a public setting or you're in a group where there's, you know, a bar, whatever it is, where, you know, you have a lot of people are around, somebody that's confident, you can always spot them immediately. I don't care what they're wearing. They could be wearing nothing. You will spot a confident person a mile away. So, but 
lot of that confidence comes from internal. It comes from people, you know, knowing exactly who they are, where they're going, and what they want. And it's attractive. It's probably the most attractive trait that I can think of. And that's the key right there. That's the biggest key right there. People need to have that. If you don't have it, and, and you kind of need, you know, not even if you, not even, not even if you're shy. Um, it, you know, you, that confidence is so important in any situation that, um, but it only comes from within. If no one can give it to you, you can't go and buy it. It's just, it comes from within. You've either got it or you haven't got it. it. Exactly. And I do talk about ways to kind of figure it out. What can you do? And there's so many, life is, you know, hard enough as it is, and I feel like there's so many areas that I feel we need to cover. I definitely talk about people. Uh, again, I said it, I said earlier, I'm going to repeat, I'm going to keep repeating with it, self-evaluation. And I'm referencing, you know, whether it's from a health perspective, your education, whether it's, financial, whether it's, you know, mental. I talk about this evaluation from across the board. And if there's an area in life that, you know, it's lacking somewhere, work on that. You know, work on that first before you try to meet somebody. Work on that, you know, get that spread away because you don't want that to be a conflict when you do meet someone you're interested in and you want to move forward with them. You don't want any conflict from that can be changed that you can control. And I also talk about, you know, I want people to get advice from, you know, family members, doctors, I've even talked about people, you know, potentially going into therapy and, you know, using that as, you know, uh, an angle to kind of work through some uh, inner turmoil. Because uh, another thing that actually a lot of people do, we use relationships and dating as crutches um, for emotional support when no one can give you that. You have to have it within yourself. That's absolutely correct. Your self-esteem has to come from the inside. Exactly. Well, we've been visiting with Selrock Smith, author of the book, are You Looking? A Guide to Navigating Gay Dating. Sel Rock Smith, thank you for visiting with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Take my, care. My pleasure. Where can listeners get a copy of your book? Wow, you can, it's, it's everywhere, actually, but it's definitely on Amazon.com. It's also in Barnes & Noble. I also have uh, my own website where I am uh, making the book available there. It's called AreYouLookingBook.com. It's available there. You can get the e-books and a uh, hard copy there. And that's it. You know, it's, I'm, I'm really excited about this project, and I'm looking forward to moving forward with it. Well, thank you, Sal Rock, and thanks for sharing your insight. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Parker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Show me the money! Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on Toginet.com. 
Juliana is a marriage, family, and child therapist who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath, those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you. Here on Connect with Juliana. Through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on the show and Juliana, check out her webpage, connectwithjulianainmedia.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune into Toginet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on Toginet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The book is titled A Wing and a Prayer. The author of that novel has said this about it. The first concept was written in my formative years and lay languishing in the dark recesses of my mind for almost 30 years until I finally decided to get it out, dust it off, and see where the story would lead me. I hope you'll understand. I hope you'll enjoy reading about the journey as much as I enjoyed making it. And it says there's a second book of Gabriel, Belladonna, awaiting. So that's interesting. Now, this uh, novel takes place starts in the year 40 A.D., already has my attention. The author is Ernest Oglesby, and he's here to discuss his book, A Wing and a Prayer. Welcome, Ernie. It's good to be here. Glad to talk to you. Well, excellent. How would you classify this book? Is this adventure fantasy, or how would you describe it? I'd say it was adventure fantasy, um, with a little bit of science fiction thrown in at a later date. Okay. And you uh, grew up, your background, you grew up in stock on the Tees, is that correct, in the northeast of England? Northeast of England, yeah. Yes, sir. And where are you currently? I'm currently in Kentucky with my wife. All right. And I understand you also do some work and consulting work overseas. Yes, I work in Africa for Wally Parsons. All right. So you're... Yes, go ahead. In Luanda, and I'm heading back there in a few days. I work rotationally, so I see a lot of the world, do a lot of traveling. A lot of traveling. It apparently, from also reading a little bit about your background, you have, have had an interest in, is it correct, in comic books for all of your oh, life? Oh, yes, from a very early age. That's very interesting. So do you still enjoy reading a good comic book now and again? Yeah, I used to have a comic collection, which I eventually sold for about, uh, I would say, about $25,000. Amazing, amazing. They, they just took up the entire space in my loft, in my garage, that is actually we needed uh, an extension on the house for the wife was expecting my first wife and i just sold them and i've tried to keep up with them since not to the same extent as i used to but i still have an interest in them was there anything in that collection that you wish you still had oh yes we're talking <laughs> first editions number ones of everything oh, that i've ever published that that would be incredible to have that kind mm-hmm. of collection well, it did benefit you, though, and so it sounds like it was a positive, positive collection to have. Oh, it certainly had a, a positive effect on my imagination. Wonderful. Well, Comics I read, hardbacks, uh, lots about Greek and Roman mythology. And I've always been interested in the aspects of history and how people see history. I personally see it as a form of Chinese whispers, okay. stories that we get told through the ages, which can change depending on who's telling the story and how many times it gets repeated. 
Yes. So I look at what we know of history today, and I think back, oh, how did it actually start? How could it have started? And most of my book, sorry, books, there's now five been published altogether. They all stem from this basic premise. The basic premise of the fact that uh, we don't really may understand not be history. What you understand it to be. Yes, yes. You can, there's different interpretations on it, which I've done. Well, your book deals with, I believe, Druids, Angels, uh, Romans, Lucifer, Gabriel. There's a lot of interesting characters that are outlined in your book. There's a lot of biblical references, yes. Religion's got a lot to do with the the stories. So how did you come to write this book? I understand it's been in the process for over 30 years, according to your book cover. Yeah, I used to write short stories, and I had the idea of a short story called The Immortals, all about a man who had lived since the dawn of time and was hunted by various people for the secrets of his immortality. That's all down to the, the blood in his veins. It's a special blood, yes. which I won't say too much about at this time. But lots of people know he's got it, and they want it for themselves for various reasons. Now, has has this been published, or is this a short story that uh, you've kept to yourself? I never actually wrote the short story, but the idea stayed in my head. And by the time... 1997 came around. I was looking for something to occupy my time, and I thought, I'll start writing again. And then I found this idea was still there, and it refreshed itself out in my head. And as I say, I've taken that into five books that have been published up to now. That's amazing. And there's only the first. That's amazing. Uh, what do you want to, to uh, impress upon readers when they when they read this book? What is the focus? Is this entertainment? Is it thought-provoking? Is it uh, scary? Is it fantasy only? How do you look at this book? For all of those, I'd like people to get involved in the story. I hope I've learned to tell a good story after all these years. And also to think about what they know of their own histories. How much do we know about what we're told? Can we believe? Is there other explanations for various things? And your main characters, their names are, is that Lucifer and Gabriel? In the first book are the two angels, Gabriel and Lucifer. It mentions that they were confined to the earth and uh, lost their wings. Is that kind of the way the story begins? Mm -hmm. The the story begins in the Middle East, as the stories of angels generally do. And as the Roman Empire sort of rose, these angels and the other angels sort of migrated to try and escape the the rise of this empire because humans were starting to persecute them and then once they got to Rome and Britain the two angels Gabriel and Lucifer were captured by Celts again some of the Druids knew about the the powers of the blood in their veins and they decided they were going to keep them for themselves and they cut the wings off so they couldn't escape and eventually they had to start learning to live as humans in a human world but still with the immortality and the story comes to a head in wartime Rome and then modern-day England as it progresses. So it comes to the present day as well. Mm-hmm. understand I did read some portions of it that kind of put the setting maybe in Rome itself in present day. Uh, Is that well, correct? Well, of it are in modern-day Rome, but the actual story culminates in modern-day England. Modern-day England, okay. And did I understand also that there's reference to vampires? Is that something that you deal with also? In the first book, there's a reference to what I've named the Council of Vampires, which is 
a ruling council who have long lives, not like true vampires. Okay. But they live a long time because they've ingested this angel blood. And the angel blood, if it's ingested by a normal human, it can prolong their lifespan. It doesn't give them immortality, but it makes them live longer. And that's why these particular people are hunting the two angels. All right. And how many books are similar to this, or are there any, do you think? Well, the first three books, uh, Wing and a Prayer, Belladonna, and Dealing with the Devil, form a trilogy of sorts. And then book four is A Long Way to Die, and book five, the latest one, is Past and Future Sins. I'm currently writing a sixth at the moment called Frozen Roots. Well, that's amazing. It sounds like you have a lot of imagination that you're, you're, you're when I writing. When the story fleshed itself out, it turned into a long story. And I've got about 14 books planned. That is incredible. Before I finish telling the story. And how long does it take you to write, to pen a book? This one, it, A Wing and a Prayer, for example. It on my social life, my work. Uh, I would say average about a year and a half per book. Well, what sets us apart from the crowd, do you think, the other books that are out there? Um, basically, the the idea that history might not be what you understand it to be. And if you can look at something, well, say, look around the world at the different cultures. They all have similar tales of fantastic creatures, uh, vampires, werewolves. And all these countries are separated by land masses and oceans, yet they have similar legends. Mm-hmm. So where did the legends come from? And how did they all have similar ones? These legends, you can't find them these days. They're not there anymore. So where did they all go? Did they all disappear at the same time? I've, I put a storyline together which I think is plausible explanation for where the magic came from and where it's gone back to. So you feel like there's there's actually maybe some factual history behind uh, some of the content of your uh, book? There may be. There may be. <laughs> the vampires, for instance, I think every culture, every civilization has its own legends on vampires. Interesting. And what was the most challenging part of writing your books? Um, basically getting it going and getting into a, a way of telling the tale. Now, do you write these out longhand, or are they computer-generated? I generally write them out with the aid of a computer. I have a handwritten book at home where I write down each particular book and what's going to happen in it. And I use that as the basis for actually typing it out on the word processor. And I don't tend to write it out in a structured manner, you know, chapter one, two, three, etc. I yes. write various bits of the books. It's like building a, your own jigsaw. You, first of all, what's the picture going to look like, the overall picture? Then how big is it going to be? How detailed? And then you've got to start working away at the individual pieces, making sure they all fit together. And that's how I put my books together, generally. That's an interesting process. Now, you did say... Also, just to recap what you have commented about history, we have fossils to prove the existence of dinosaurs, but legends and tales from many diverse cultures talk of other strange creatures. And even the Bible talks of angels and demons. We have no proof, but we have belief aplenty on certain aspects, and we'll one day find proof of these other creatures or legends. That's that's an interesting concept. They're still finding new fossils today to prove other dinosaurs existed, so... Who knows? 
Is That's... it something you can definitely say no to, or is it a definite maybe? Well, definite maybe certainly is something we can uh, all deal with. Yeah, I, I don't like taking other people's scientific explanations as fact. I like to see the evidence behind them where it's possible. This book, you say, is part of a trilogy. And well, you've... the first book talks about the origins of the angels and how the story progresses into modern day. And wartime Rome, more characters get added and they all come together in modern day England. And each book since has, advert- sorry, has introduced new characters as background for the core characters. And I look at today's political makeup of Europe and how various things are going on there and how that interacts with what's going on around the world. Because the character of Gabriel is not someone who's tied to any particular country. He has bases and he spends most of his time in Argentina in modern times because people are looking for him around Europe and that's his hideout. And he has various people he needs to deal with which draw him out of that hideout if you like mm-hmm. and that's the end of the first book is a culmination of a plot to draw him out so that these people can get their hands on him now does he take on contemporary visual form or is he uh, uh, kind He's of a chameleon a normal guy without the wings hmm. apart from the fact that his bone structure is more like a bird's than a human's his bones are hollow uh, very strong muscular, and his average height, average looks, apart from that. But does he have a profession, you know, a career that would camouflage him with society? He's he's done various things over the years uh, in the main, invest his money, which you can imagine if he can invest money for that many years, he's going to make a lot of money. Right. So he's, he's virtually a millionaire, uh, gives a lot to charity, obviously, uh, funds various research facilities in South America. People that actually know his physiology and his history. He has like a private clinic, which he goes to for various medical reasons. And he also is a time-served engineer. So he makes his own little inventions, which help him in his, uh, his various adventures. Well, it sounds like a well-rounded-out character, a guy that can do a little bit of everything. This guy has been looking to improve himself through the centuries. Um, part of the time he spent in Italy in Renaissance times, he hired himself out as a mercenary. you find out more about that in book two. And in later years, he served time as a, a mountaineering instructor with the SAS because he's always been a good climber and he was sort of hiding among the humans, if you like. Yes. Well, it sounds like a, a marvelous adventure. You certainly have an imagination, I can say that, about Journey. Well, everyone that's read the book so far has enjoyed them. Super. Well, we've been visiting with Ernest Oglesby, author of A Wing and a Prayer. Now, Ernie, I appreciate your taking time to visit with us today. Where can we get your books? Uh, well, my publisher's called Our Universe, and if you want to order them from Amazon or Waterstones, they're all available as physical books, hardbacks, paperbacks, or e-books. Fabulous. Facebook, all and, the information's there. And your your personal website is what? It's an iUniverse. Go to iUniverse and put my name in the search field. You'll get to it. Fabulous. Well, I appreciate your visiting with us today. Again, we've been discussing the book, A Wing and a Prayer, 
the first book of Gabriel. Uh, and thank you for sharing this introduction to what promises to be an intriguing read. Now, for iUniverse Publications, this is J. Douglas Barker. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.